Our scripture lesson is taken from Isaiah, from both the Old and New Testament, reading first from Isaiah 53, page 847 in the Pew Bible, page 847, Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 1, and reading through the end of the chapter. Isaiah 53, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, from the transgressions of my people he was, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had none, he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and was numbered with transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And then from the New Testament epistle of Galatians, page 1338, 1338, Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 14. Galatians 3.1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. 
For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved the Lord, in conjunction with that scripture, I'd like to read to you from Lord's Day 15 of the Heidelberg Catechism, found on page 878 in the back of the Psalter hymnal, where we continue to consider the articles of the Apostles' Creed as a summary of our Christian faith, and come now to consider the description of the suffering uh, of Jesus Christ uh, on the cross and under Pontius Pilate. Lord's Day 15, on the bottom of the first column on page 878, what do you understand by the word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the whole, against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering, as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes, by this death I am convinced that he shouldered the curse which lay on me, since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. Beloved of the Lord, the Apostles' Creed summarizes the earthly life of Jesus Christ by saying he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. That's a very brief summary. And there are some who are embarrassed by the brevity of that summary. Certainly more could or ought to be said about the earthly life of Jesus Christ other than that simply he suffered and that he died and that he was buried. Uh, that could be said of almost anyone who has ever lived and will one day be said of us as well that we suffered, that we died, and that we were buried. Uh, it happens to everyone. What's so significant about this? Well, of course, what is significant is to whom this happened, and we have been considering that already in previous Lord's Days, where we considered especially last week the incarnation that the eternal second person of the Trinity took on human flesh, that uh, Jesus is a 
single person who has two natures, one that is fully divine and one that is fully human, that he became like us in every way except for sin, that uh, he now calls us brothers and uh, sisters because he is uh, one of us. He was made like us. This divine human person is the one who has suffered and died. That makes his suffering significant. But also what makes his suffering significant is uh, what he suffered and to what end that he suffered. And that's what we want to consider this evening. What did Jesus suffer and what did he gain for us by his suffering? And we can say very succinctly that what he suffered was the wrath of God against the sin of the world. He suffered the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race, as our catechism states it. You must understand that God indeed is angry with the human race. He created us good. He created us holy. He created us righteous. Man, by willful disobedience, sinned against God bringing down upon himself and his posterity the wrath of God. We now are by nature children of wrath, born and conceived and sin and sinning from our earliest youth. God hates all sin. The wages of sin is death. And uh, uh, he hates it with an infinite hatred. Now, when it says that Jesus suffered the wrath of God against the sin of mankind, uh, It's saying that he suffered what we deserve. He pays for the sin of mankind by what he suffers. It doesn't mean that he pays for the sin of all mankind, but rather that uh, his suffering is sufficient for that. We have to be careful not to uh, get caught up trying to measure infinite wrath. Jesus experienced infinite wrath, uh, uh, which means that If uh, it was his purpose to save all mankind, universal salvation, if that had been his purpose, he would not have had to suffer more. And if it had been his purpose to save only one human being out of the whole human race in all history, he would not have had to suffer less. Uh, Infinite wrath is simply that. Infinite wrath, whether it's saving Uh, Everybody or one person or nobody or a set number, as indeed uh, the Bible tells us uh, it is a set number that God has determined uh, from before the foundations of the earth. Uh, Scripture makes clear that Jesus came into this world to suffer the wrath of God against the sin of all mankind. And it makes clear that he did that in our place. Now, this is why the doctrine of the Incarnation is so important, why we consider the Incarnation before we consider what he suffered. The Incarnation shows that Jesus was made one of us so that he can take our place, so that he can take what we deserve. God, uh, it is human beings who have sinned, and therefore it must be a human being who pays for sin. And Jesus became a human being, So he now can stand in our place 
As we read from Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastisement that brought us peace was laid on him. And uh, it is by his stripes, his uh, uh, sufferings, that we are healed. Uh, the scriptures say, uh, Isaiah says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God put our guilt on him, and then he suffered what our guilt deserves. Peter, uh, in First Peter chapter 2, uh, paraphrases Isaiah 53 when he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds you have been healed. He himself bore in his body uh, our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Or as Peter says in another place, First Peter 3 verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, we might, that he might bring us to God. He's the righteous one, we're the unrighteous, but he suffered what the unrighteous deserve so that we might become the righteousness of God. Or as we read from Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Now, when did he suffer the wrath of God? Well, as the Catechism reminds us here and also in another place, uh, he suffered the wrath of God throughout his whole life, but especially on the cross. Throughout his whole life, he suffered the absence of the comforts and the joys of heaven, which he gave up when he humbled himself and took the form of a servant, when he came and uh, was born into this world, a world that is under the curse of God because of sin, a world that is filled with physical pain, with toilsome labor, with thorns and thistles, with futility in our labor. He endured pain and sorrow and sickness and poverty and slander and reproach and blasphemy and the, the attacks of the devil, the devil's temptations. All this was part of his suffering. And then, especially on the cross, he endured the wrath of God against the sin of the world. Uh, that is uh, evidenced especially by the fact that he is crucified on a wooden cross. Uh, 1,500 years before, at least 1,500 years before Christ was hung on that cross, Moses had said for God, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And throughout the course of history, their uh, biblical history, there have been people who were uh, killed and left hanging on a, a piece of wood or a, a tree. Uh, think, for example, of wicked Haman, who plotted the destruction of all the Jews in the book of Esther. He decided he was going to ask for Mordecai's life, and so he had a, a pillar erected on which he was going to hoist up uh, uh, Mordecai and hang him there. Only it turned out that uh, Haman was uh, impaled on that pillar and died hanging on a tree as a sign that he was under the curse of God. Uh, King Saul, who disobeyed God and incurred the wrath and disfavor of God, uh, was killed in battle, but then his body was taken and nailed to a wooden city wall. 
again to indicate to us that he died under the curse of God. Perhaps the uh, best example in the Old Testament is Absalom. Absalom, who rebelled against the Lord's anointed and went to war against the Lord's anointed servant, uh, his father, King David. Absalom was riding his mule through the forest and came to a great terebinth tree, an oak tree, and uh, somehow got his head caught in the branches. And he was stuck there, and his mule kept on going, leaving him hanging, suspended from in the air, hanging from a tree, where Joab, uh, David's general, found him and took three spears and uh, pierced him uh, through the heart until he was dead. And he died hanging in a tree as a sign to all Israel that he died under the curse of God. No wonder... David uh, mourned so grievously for his son Absalom when he heard of the death of Absalom. Uh, So Jesus on the cross, on that wooden cross uh, made from a tree, uh, it's a sign. It's a sign from God that that he is bearing the curse of God because down through history that God had made that clear that if, if you die in that manner, it's a sign that that God has cursed you. That you're dying under the curse of God. There was another sign that the catechism doesn't mention of the curse of God on Jesus. You know, let everything be established by at least two witnesses. Uh, The wooden cross was one instance of the curse. There was something else present there, also a sign of the curse. The crown of thorns. When God cursed the earth, he said it will produce thorns. Thorns are a sign of the curse of God. And they, they took thorns and, and plated it into a crown and put it on his head, a sign of the curse of God upon the earth, that Jesus was bearing that curse while he hung on the tree. Two witnesses, two symbolic witnesses that this was the curse of God against the, the sin of the world. Uh, God arranged it that way so that you and I would understand, so that you and I would know that indeed He was bearing the wrath of God against the sin of the world. And then there's a third, a third sign to us that this this death of Jesus was was the work of God in that he was condemned by Pontius Pilate. We read in Romans 13 that the powers that be are appointed by God. Every human ruler in some way represents God's justice. They don't all represent God's justice well. In fact, uh, no earthly judge represents God perfectly. But Pilate made two judgments regarding Jesus, uh, both of which we're to understand he did on God's behalf. The first judgment he made was that he said, I find no guilt in this man. He judged him innocent. And when Pilate judged Jesus innocent, God was declaring the innocence of Jesus, that in himself he had no sin. He was not worthy of death. But then Pilate condemned Jesus to death. Uh, From a human perspective, a great travesty of justice, crucified by the hands of wicked men, said Peter in his Pentecost sermon, but also by the determined uh, plan of God, because God also, through Pilate, is condemning Jesus to death. 
Though innocent, he is condemned because he is condemned for the sin of others. And so you have the wooden cross, you have the crown of thorns, you have an earthly judge judging him innocent and yet condemning him to death. All of this points to uh, the fact that Jesus indeed suffered the wrath of God against the sin of mankind, and he did that as a human being, taking our place, suffering what we deserve so that we could be delivered from it. Uh, When you survey the cross, we have that hymn, you know, when I survey the cross, when you survey the cross, you're to see there the wrath of God against your sins. I should see the wrath of God against my sins. I... uh, there were a couple of songs I wanted to sing tonight uh, after the sermon, and uh, I chose one, but uh, the one I didn't choose has this line in it. Uh, it says, uh, You who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. If you think sin is a light matter, If you think sin isn't very great, then look here. Look here at the cross. See what sin is all about. See Jesus suffering the wrath of God, the infinite wrath of God against the sin of the world as it is poured out on him. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, He was forsaken and uh, afflicted, suffering uh, for our sins on the cross. Uh, This is what he suffered. Now, why did he suffer it? Well, he suffered to gain something for us. And what he gained for us, of course, is forgiveness because he atoned for our sins. He didn't just suffer in order to demonstrate how God feels about sin, uh, uh, to show us that God hates sin. Nor did he suffer merely to uh, demonstrate love. Certainly, he, the cross does demonstrate love. But if that's all that it did, it would be a wasted death. Uh, it was a death that atones for sin, that pays for sin. Uh, other uh, ministers uh, who I have heard have uh, used the illustration of uh, diving into a, a river a raging river to uh, demonstrate your love for for your friend. You know, if two two friends are on the shore of a river and uh, uh, one says to the other, I want you to see how much I love you, and he throws himself into this raging river and drowns. That's a kind of silly demonstration of love. Yet there are modern theologians who say that that's that's really what all the cross is about. It's God demonstrating how much he loves us. Uh, he offers uh, his life as a, uh, uh, a demonstration. He offers his life, gives his life to just say, I love you. Uh, if, if that's all it is, it's a wasted life uh, thrown away for nothing. But if, if one friend falls into the river and is drowning and the other friend dives in after him to save him, that is a demonstration of love, especially if in saving him the uh, the one who saves uh, uh, loses his life in the in the uh, successful rescue of his friend. We would say that that was a life well spent. He he gave his life, laid down his life in order to save his friend's life, and that's what Jesus says. Uh, no greater love has 
this than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends. Uh, he lays down his life to save our lives by making an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And because he's atoned for our sins, the Catechism lists these four things that, that we have gained. And uh, I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but uh, it's a good list. Uh, it says we have gained uh, freedom from eternal condemnation. Uh, eternal condemnation of both body and soul. Uh, we mentioned this uh, last week also that uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are born under wrath. We are born under the sentence of death. If we have not believed, we are condemned already. But because of what Christ has done for us through faith in him, we are delivered from that condemnation. We also gain the grace or the favor of God. He now looks upon us with fatherly kindness. His anger has been completely removed. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He is angry with us no more. Uh, he looks now with fatherly kindness and uh, fatherly love. If he brings suffering into our life, it is not punishment for sin, but it is that painful discipline that yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We've also gained a righteous standing before God. That is, all the requirements of the law have been met for us by Christ. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our guilt is laid on him. His righteous obedience to every commandment is credited to us. We now are clothed in the white robes of Christ's righteousness, which gives you access to the Father's presence, where he receives you warmly and gladly. And when you think you deserve it the least, is when you need to go to him the most and not be afraid or when you come in Jesus Christ, you come as one who is uh, pleasing to him. You have his kind favor. And he has gained for us eternal life. Eternal life, which is not just eternal existence, but eternal fellowship with God the Father and God the Son through the power and presence of the Spirit and uh, the new heavens and the new earth where God himself will come down and wipe away every tear from our eyes and we shall marvel at him for all eternity. Uh, what a glorious future we have, because Christ has suffered for us. This was all of love. You know, the mercy of God is something that we don't deserve, and something that he's not obligated to give. But he has done it because he is a God of love. He demonstrates his love by sending his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins, to propitiate his anger, to turn aside his anger. This is what love is all about. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to die for us. And such love for us, when you see it, should elicit from you a response of love, where we no longer live for self, but live for him who gave himself for us. Amen. Let us pray. 
Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was born, that he suffered, that he was crucified, that he died, and that he was buried. We know that he came into this world as uh, the God-man who could uh, stand in our place as one of us, but who had the strength, uh, divine strength, to be able to bear up under that infinite wrath, take it all in, and deliver us from it. We thank you that you have sent him and uh, that you have so loved us. May we now uh, respond with hearts filled with love and uh, grateful obedience as we go forth to live in this world and let our light shine that many others may come to know him as well. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.